I uh, heard from the Lord last night um, to challenge myself and to challenge you about our prayer life. And I felt the, that the Lord said to ask these three questions. What does your place of prayer look like? Who's there when you enter that place? And what happens when you come out of that place? Augustine of Hippo, in his Confessions 1027, he wrote, You called and cried out loud and shattered my deafness. Put your hands on your ears. Say, Lord, I want to hear your call. I want to hear you cry out and shatter my deafness. And while we're right there, does anybody have yourself or a loved one who's suffering from some kind of maladies in the ear? Anybody? Put your hand up really quickly. You know the way, yeah, put your hand up and leave it up. Just put your hand up for a minute and don't look at me, just receive for a moment. Because the way this works, friends, when the church gathers together, we are in two dimensions simultaneously. And it's not just the touch, taste, handle, feel in the natural that's around us. We literally, and this is scripture, it is what Jesus has done in the fullness of his death his incarnation, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. And then when he sent the Holy Spirit, he suddenly made us alive in an additional, more real realm. The supernatural realm. And we want to talk about that a bit today. Put your hand up again. Any kind of ear maladies. Maladies in the ears. Maladies in the ears. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for shining a light, putting an emphasis on this, and now we decree in the name of Jesus, come and touch and fill and heal in Jesus' name. And so while I'm speaking, while we're here together for the next 20 minutes, if you notice a change in your ears, we want you to make it known to us, okay? And I don't mind, even though it's really not in your culture, if you would jump up and say, oh, Pastor Bonnie, something's happening in my ears. This place will break out in revival. I can tell you that. Yeah. Augustine says, you were radiant and resplendent. You put flight to my blindness. Oh, Jesus. I want all of my blindness to flee away so that I can see you clearly at all times. See you where you're standing and what you're doing. And be able to enter in with you there fully. Eye maladies, raise your hand. Anybody with an eye malady? Anybody? Some kind of an eye difficulties in your eyes, macular degeneration, glaucoma, uh, maybe even, even blindness. Um, thank you, Lord. Father, we welcome, we welcome, not by power nor by might, but by your spirit, we welcome your healing touch today. He says, you were fragrant can you imagine that God actually has an aroma, a scent about him? But I want to ask you, have you ever experienced that? 
Or have you ever opened your mind and heart enough to be willing to recognize that's a reality and a possibility to experience? I drew in my breath and now pant after you. I tasted you. And I feel but hunger and thirst for you. You touched me and I am set on fire to attain the peace which is yours. A few years ago, in fact, 29 to be exact, my husband and I had a visitation in our home in Charlotte, North Carolina. And as a result of that, we started inviting people to just gather in our living room. And soon it burst through the living room. We burst into a much larger space. It was a converted three-car garage, which was uh, about three-quarters the space of this building. That filled up and it continued. And what we decided to do against all rationale is that we decided to make those gatherings start at 10 o'clock in the evening on Fridays after everybody's work week. And we would be together to pray all night until 6 o'clock in the morning. You know, that's really not a, a really brilliant way to gather a whole bunch of people and get them all excited. We stepped into another dimension. We have been doing this now for 29 years, every Friday. And you would think, how in the world could something like that continue? Let me tell you how. It is supernatural. It's living. And one of the secrets is that it's corporate. It's not just an individual prayer closet. And this is one of the things that God is doing in his church in the earth now. And I exhort you to open your heart and your mind and yourself to be available to listen to the Lord and begin all the more to meet together as the church to pray. I believe, saints, it's time for us to come out of our individual pursuit and come together as an army battalion, a household of faith, a temple of God that is moving in unison into the harvest with signs and wonders. So um, we began this, what we call the watch of the Lord. And immediately, because the way that we uh, participate and experience the watch is everyone contributes, everyone participates. We literally have visions and prophetic words or impressions or things from scripture melded together with the worship going in and out of it. We include a lot of fun stuff. But we wait on the presence of the Lord in a dynamic way every Friday night, and he comes. And I will tell you, we have learned something about the prayer of the church. We have been taken into a place of revelation on numerous occasions now in our history where on more than one occasion in the watch, the simple Christians gathered in the power of the Holy Ghost, and we have received classified 
top secret information concerning big issues in national dynamics in our own nation and the nations and being able to pray them through and literally within days see international headlines that are the exact answer of our prayers. This is the prayer of the church and God is calling for us to awaken and come back to his house into that place of legislative authority as the kingdom of priests reigning and ruling in the earth now. Can you say amen? amen. You look very serious. <laughs> Hebrews 12. And I want to say this. The Cornerstone community is ordained by God and anointed now in the race of the church into the harvest in the world, including leading in all of the cultural influences. Singapore Cornerstone Community Church is coming to the head of the pack of those who are running. To the head, to the very forefront. Maybe geographically you're small. Maybe in terms of your whole number in comparison to the billions in the world. I will tell you, you are coming to the head of the race. Other nations are falling back, but not you. Not Cornerstone. A few years ago, I was uh, accustomed to running for exercise six miles a day. And um, we lived in Fort Lauderdale. We pastored under uh, Brother Derek Prince. Anybody heard of Brother Derek? Derek Prince, he's my spiritual father. He's the spiritual grandfather of our church in um, North Carolina. And Mahesh and I were uh, young, pastoring, a lot of responsibilities, a lot of pressures. And I was out that morning to go for my morning run, and Fort Lauderdale's hot, and it's muggy, and it's terrible. And I had a particular stretch of an open beach that was three miles, so I would run up and then run back after I dropped my kids off at school. And the night before this particular morning, we got a call from some dear friends of ours in another state um, and the father, a great man of God, had been ill and he had gone into a coma and they were anticipating that within moments, uh, certainly hours, that he was going to transition into glory. And they had called and asked us to continue to surround them in prayer. And uh, I believe Mahesh even got on the phone and they prayed a blessing into our dear friend. His name was Jay Vesperman. And... Uh, we did that on the evening before the next day. So I'm out running on the beach, and I'm really miserable. I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed with a lot of my responsibilities. I'm, you know, just a lot of things going on. And I wasn't exactly in a place of glory and victory and overcoming. And so I'm, as I'm running, I suddenly remember the scriptures out of Hebrews 12. And I'm saying to myself, you know, my physical state right now kind of resembles where I'm at in my Christian race, in my Christian walk. And so I began to meditate on Hebrews chapter 12 that says, therefore, say therefore. therefore. 
Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, I want to ask you, are you aware that you are surrounded moment by moment by a massive historical past, present, and into the future cloud of saints awakened and alive, engaged in the eternal purposes of God? You are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race set before us. And so that morning, I was trying to, you know, stir myself up enough to get enough endurance just to run three miles. And so I'm slogging away and, you know, trying to tell myself this scripture. And all of a sudden, say all of a sudden, a man whoa, ran by me. I mean, he went by me so fast that in the hot, muggy Florida air on the beach, a cool wind came over me. And it was interesting because this was not a young fellow, though he looked really young and vibrant. He was an older fellow, but he was completely renewed somehow. And he had this beautiful white silver hair. And it was, you know, going in these cool little blue running shorts and the coolest running shoes I'd ever seen in my life. And he just flew by me. And in the split second that he passed, and I glimpsed him from the side, I noticed he was also looking at me. He had his eyes set on me, had a big smile on his face. He looked at me. When our eyes met, I recognized him. It was Jay Vesperman, the man in the coma in Tennessee the night before. He was as real as you are, as I am. I could reach out and touch him. And when he ran by and he cast that look on me, I knew I was connected indeed to a great cloud of witnesses. And friends, I will tell you, I got a second wind. I got a second wind that day. I had never had anything like that happen before. That supernatural. But it was so dynamic. It wasn't a vision. It wasn't a trance. I looked at my watch and checked the time. I ran and finished my course that day, went straight home, and our answering machine had the light on it. And I went and punched it at the exact same time that I recorded on my watch when that man ran by me on the beach. I had a voicemail from his family saying that Jay had stepped over into glory. The place of prayer. It's two-dimensional. And this is completely biblical. Because Hebrews 12 says, you have come. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you. Say it out loud. Have come. Not past, not in the future. It's now, present tense. You have come. You have come. Say now. You have come to Mount Zion. Say Mount Zion with all your strength. You've come to the city of God. Innumerable angels. The general assembly. God, the judge of all. The spirits of just men made perfect. Am I freaking you out? Well, maybe we need to have our deafness and our blindness shattered by the true realities that this glorious gospel has recreated us as citizens of heaven into 
to Jesus. Say to Jesus. And to the blood that is speaking. When you enter your place of prayer, this should be your surrounding reality. Moreover, when you come out of your place of prayer, this should be your surrounding reality. And I want us to look for a moment at these two dimensions in seven minutes. May I have the first image? This is a, a classic masterpiece by the famous uh, Raphael, Italian artist, and he died as a young man. He died when he was 37. He worked on this painting for the last four years of his life from 1516 to 1520. It's 13 by 9 feet. It's massive, massive, massive. He died on Good Friday. He had lived a very lecherous, wild life. And it was assumed by even his doctors of the day that he died because of certain maladies and diseases that he had picked up in his raucous living. But in fact, it has been determined that he actually died of something similar to coronavirus. And his doctors, the, the, the way of healing then was bloodletting. And when they did the orthodox way, it actually contributed to his death. But as he was dying, and he called for a priest to come and hear his confession and minister the sacraments to him. And he asked that they bring his picture, his painting of the transfiguration and sit it before him so that he could gaze on it as he was dying. And I believe that he was reminding himself of the inspiration of God that came on him when he painted these images directly from scripture and he was encouraging himself that he was about to be released from one realm into another realm and he was trusting the Savior, the one who showed himself on the Mount of Transfiguration to his disciples, the one who showed up at a place, over a place called the gates of hell and challenged the principalities and powers and was preparing himself to enter the final battle on the cross to deliver all mankind from sin and death. And um, what I want you to notice is the two dimensions. Say two dimensions. Do you see them? Do you see the above in light? Right? On the top of the mountain? Your place of prayer is a place of high authority. You've come to Mount Zion, the highest place. And then do you see the below? This is the natural realm, down below, and the, the difference in light and darkness. And the struggles that are happening here versus the dynamic that's going on up there. And there's so many things about this. I believe that Raphael probably very likely painted himself into this as the little boy that's in the story of Jesus when Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And his hope was that the Christ of Scripture was going to come to him in his malady and finally deliver him from all the things that had bound and tormented him in his own life. This event, the transfiguration, not Raphael's painting, I want to speak to you for just a moment. Say location, location, location. 
it's a movie filming reference, as you know, and it's interesting that we're in a movie theater. Say it again, location. 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 Three of the Gospels record the transfiguration of Jesus. It's important, and it's connected to the resurrection, because in it, Jesus came and became the manifestation of everything that had begun to happen at Sinai thousands of years before and bring Israel forward following the cloud, the Shekinah, and the leadership of God and under the law. And suddenly it was all culminating again on a mountain where a bright cloud came and the voice of the Father spoke. And as compared to when Moses said, show me your glory. And he said, you can't see my face. You'll die. Friends, the dynamic has changed. Now, we can see him face to face. And I'm not just talking about when we pass from this life. Say face to face. face, to face. We can know his name. His name was hidden in history. Why? It was a strategic plan of God. God always has a big surprise. And I want to suggest to you that at this event, the Mount of Transfiguration, at, over a place called the Gates of Hell, the very place where Jesus had just uh, hours before brought his disciples to the place that all of um, the, the pagan dynamics, there were many, many temples there of all different kinds of of philosophies and various other things, memorials to all of these things. But it was uh, considered and known throughout the culture that that place, Mount Hermon, where Jesus went and probably went on other times than just this one, went into that mountain to pray. And I want to suggest to you that in Jesus' place of prayer, just like you see the angels show up in the Garden of Gethsemane, which was also on a mountain, that Jesus entered Mount Zion, the spirits of just men made perfect, innumerable angels, before the Father, the judge of all, why he also cried out in Gethsemane, Father! He wasn't praying to something long and distant. He was in this surround, in the middle of the worst challenge, darkness, the, the, um, the most frightful and fearful anticipation of what he was going into. But he was also surrounded by another dimension. And it says there that the angels came and ministered to him. They didn't deliver him out of it because it was God's plan for our sake. That he run that race as a young champion all the way through his trial, his mocking, his scourging, his crucifixion and death. That he finished the work in order to make the great exchange for you and I. Our hero. Our great God. But his life of prayer is a lesson and a memorial also for us. The Bible says we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Everything in the world is shaking and will continue to shake from this point on. And it is all the more crucial that the church find itself occupying and moving and working within this realm which cannot be shaken. That we might bring those realities into the shaking world. 
and the prayer of the church, not just individual in your prayer closet at home, but gathered together in groups entering into this realm is essential in this time moving forward like never before. So we see pictured in Raphael's uh, painting these two dimensions, these two dynamics. Um, and uh, in, in Luke's account, he says in Luke 9, first of all, it starts out in the, in the beginning of the chapter. He says, he called his disciples together and gave them power. Say power. power. And authority. Say authority. authority. Can you say power? power? Can you say authority? authority. Come on. And sent them, and, oh, sorry, over all demons. Say over all demons. And to cure disease. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Say preach and heal. And then he said, don't take anything else. Just take the anointing that I've given you. Look at your neighbor and say, that's all you need. Not by might, nor by power. It's by the spirit of the Lord. Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath in. Father, I pray today for a fresh awakening, a fresh infilling, a fresh reviving, and a fresh revelation. And Luke goes on to say, it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, right? The disciples had been given this commission, and they went out, and they did it, and they saw it. And then it continued to multiply, the feeding of the 5,000 and various other things. And now suddenly, Jesus takes these three, and he says, I want you to come with me to my place of prayer so you will understand what's happening here. It's two dimensions. In one, he took Peter, John, James, went up to the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, say as he prayed. Say it again. The appearance of his face was altered. Again, we're hearkening back to the foreshadowing. He was present on Sinai with Moses, but hidden until such a time as he was to be revealed. And this was the time now. And he's here at the top of the mountain. The appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, say behold. Remember what it said about the spirits of just men? You have come to this place in this high mountain. Two men talked with him. Do you remember who they were? They were in the picture. Moses and Elijah. Not dead. Alive. And also engaged through Jesus who was incarnate in the earth. But don't just think of it as just him. God is engaging the earth through us. And it's essential that we be awakened to and connected to the realities of the unshakable kingdom and be a, a conduit continually of these realities in our everyday life. Remember again, think of the, the picture I gave you of the man that ran by me on the beach that day. And when Jay glanced at me, and we knew him well, when he glanced at me, something came into me. He was telling me, sweetheart, you are going to make it. You are going to run this race of faith in your life and you are going to gain the victor's crown. Nothing must stop you or make you stumble. Come on, you can clap. You can be, you can be Holy Ghost people. Come on, say nothing. 
is going to stop me. It says, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease. In your place of prayer, you will receive God's divine strategies. I wish I could tell you the stories, but some of them literally obtained to top secret classified information that has occurred in our nat national political situation and so on and so on. But the church is called to be above every name that is named, to be occupying a place of legislative priestly authority over all powers and authorities earthly and heavenly and this is the place of prayer uh, it says that um, so they were giving Jesus the strategy and helping him fill in the blanks and knowing what was going to happen and how he was going to go through at the cross but Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep and then they were fully awake. And I mean, Luke is really understating this. The reality is, they, it's a long hike. If you've ever been to Mount Hermon, it's a long ways up there. And they were probably exhausted. We don't know what they'd had to eat or whatever. And they fall asleep. And what wakes them up is men talking. Audible voices of men talking. Say audible. Remember, we said at the beginning, Lord, shatter our deafness. Make our blindness flee. That we might smell and taste you and be set on fire. Peter's always jumping in with some kind of band-aid or natural way of doing something. And he just, you know, he wasn't totally, let's build tabernacles and just stay up here. No. Church. He's calling us into the mountain of prayer to receive the strategies in order that we bring them down into the darkness of earth realm. And you see in the story that immediately when Jesus came down from the mountain with his disciples, if you remember the story, there was a great multitude gathered. And there was a big uh, arguing and debating about a big noise, a tumult of all of these things because a man and a, a woman, a family had brought their son who was uh, an epileptic who was continually seized with terrible seizures. So this would be the boy, do you see him there? The boy in such desperation, his father in green is bringing him. This, this representation here, uniquely, art historians say that Raphael was intentionally putting a mother in the story to be a prophetic call to the church about the world in desperation, needing the manifestation and the touch of Christ. We're in this situation today, friends. And that Raphael left an empty chasm between the needs of the world in bondage and darkness and disease. The disciples already anointed to deal with these things and somehow were not connecting. And uniquely, the thing they're leaning on right here, you see the book? That's the Bible. So they're leaning on the book, they're arguing with the lawyers and the scribes and all kinds of other stuff is going on. But they have just come out of the greater reality where they saw and heard and were intended to be awakened to bring it down. And when they came down, the father came and brought his son and he told him the terrible story 
about this pitiful boy. May have been his only son. And he said, I brought him to your disciples. Those ones that just uh, days before had been going around healing the sick. Casting out demons. And adjusting Jesus in his glory on the mountain. Who he really was. The pre-incarnate eternal son of God. And he showed them that specifically so they would know that when he went to the cross and died, something cosmic for the redemption of mankind, of the human race, would happen. Again, don't forget where we're at. We're in Mount Hermon. Hermon. Hermon, sorry. Mount Hermon. It's the region of Bashan or Bashan. Say Bashan. Do you know what this place is? Say location, location. It indicates something to us about the significance of the prayer of the church, the place of prayer. Because that region is throughout the Old Testament in the conquest uh, annals. Joshua, it's the first place that they have to traverse. And there in that place are the descendants of the terrible Genesis 6 story where the sons of God copulate with the daughters of men. And produce a race of giants. And Og, the king of this place, the king of Bashan, who's, you read in Joshua, read in Deuteronomy, read all the way into David's time. Those strongholds still considered that they had the highest place of authority in the region. And then one day, the Son of God took his place. In that place of prayer and revelation and put them on notice. Our prayer life is not just about crying to the Father for blessing and personal deliverance. And in this hour, in this age, as we move towards the coming of the Lord, God is calling the church to her rightful place at the top of Mount Zion in all prayer and power and authority. And so when they come down from the mountain, the father says, I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't help. And Jesus said, "Ah, oh, you guys, come on. Bring him to me. Look at your neighbor. Say, bring him to Jesus. May I ask you this question? Where is Jesus right now? Come on. Where is he? Where is he? Heaven. heaven? What's he doing in heaven? Praying. What'd you say? What? Watching over us. That's pretty good. The Bible says he is seated. In the throne, the place of authority over all other things. And he is making intercession for us. Jesus, your prayer life is intended that you enter into that room where you are with him face to face. And the two of you are agreeing together in prayerful conversation. That's the prayer of believers. But he's in heaven. What does that mean for us? What did he do when he sat down in that throne? 
We're coming into the great day, the last great day of the feast, of the feast of ingathering, the feast of tabernacles, the place in scripture where Jesus stood up and said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he didn't say out of my belly. He said, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water springing up into eternal life. So where is Jesus today in the earth? Resident by his spirit in his church and all the more reason we must come together. Anybody ever saw the movie Gladiator? Russell Crowe, anybody? Gladiator, come on if you've seen it. Raise your hand, don't be so shy. There's a certain scene, and what they do is they throw these guys into the arena, and it's just because they're going to slaughter them for the entertainment of all the crowd that's come and gathered. And they have them repeat real historical things where the gladiators are defeated once again, and everybody's happy and hallelujah. But that day, there was a gladiator in that bunch who decided to change history and make a demonstration before all of the cloud that was watching them. And he said to the gladiators, on my word, come together. Say, come together. together. And suddenly, in the moment that they were supposed to meet their defeat, and all the times that drama had been played out before, he shouts out, come together. And they come together and lock shields and overturn the chariots coming down to kill them. It's time to change history. It's time to turn the tables on the kingdom of darkness. It's time, church, to come together. And the place we come together in power and authority to receive the strategies of heaven and get a real glimpse into the two dimensions that we dwell in simultaneously is the place of corporate prayer. Our church is on a corporate fast right now that will end on Yom Kippur. We got a letter a few weeks ago from a family in Charlotte, and the letter said, we wanted to write to you, Mehashimbani, and thank you on the 20th anniversary of our son's healing. And the story, little Michael Floyd, when he was in the sixth grade, brilliant little boy in a very posh elite school, and he suddenly developed Tourette's syndrome. Do you know what Tourette's is? You may have a different word, but it's where there will be these ticks, and then they, they curse. They say foul words. The people with Tourette's will say foul words and can't control their body or anything like that. And suddenly, this little boy developed Tourette's syndrome. His Tourette's were so bad, they call these ticks where you, you know, shout out this foul word of different various other things and, and move uncontrollably. He was having a tick every second, continual, just like this father who brought his boy and said it's continual, seizing, little Michael. It happened that the the number one Tourette specialist in the U.S. was in Charlotte, and she was Michael's doctor. 
And they had put him on all kinds of medications and were doing everything to try and prevent this malady from taking over his life and ending his future. And nothing was working. And his parents came to us. And they said, we believe in the prayer of the church. We've been in the watch. We've seen God in his miracles. We believe in the power of our corporate fasting. We do that twice a year with our church body. Where many become one. And the power is exponential. And the revelation is as well. And they asked if we would make Michael our priority of prayer for the 21 days that our church was going on its corporate fast. And we said, of course. Together as a church body, we took on Michael and fasted together for 21 days. His Tourette's was continuing on, many levels of medications, all kinds of stuff through the 21 days. And at the end of the 21 days, Michael said, Mom, Dad, sixth grader, I'm not going to take my medication. I believe the Lord can heal me. They were very nervous. The doctor said, don't do that. You cannot do it. You have to maybe taper him off if something's changing. She was willing. I mean, they tried everything. Nothing was working in this earth realm. But we had entered into a higher dimension. And we're coming off the mountain at the end. And remember what Jesus said to the disciples when they said, why couldn't we do this? He said, this kind goes not out but by... What did he say? Prayer. prayer. Say prayer. prayer. And fasting. Prayer and fasting. Michael stopped his medication on the 21st day. He didn't have a single tick that day. The next day, not a single tick. The next day, not a single tick. Then Michael Floyd... Michael Floyd, he's 32 years old. He works in international finance. He's married with a family. He was completely healed. Friends, 20 years later, his parents wanted to remind us of what God has done. Can we just stand to our feet for a moment? In Hall 7, it feels like we're in two dimensions at one time. We are in one place together. Let's lift up our hands. Say, Lord Jesus, call cry out say Lord Jesus shatter my deafness say Lord Jesus put my blindness to flight Lord Jesus touch me and set me on fire Began to just thank the Lord for a moment, saints. Just began to worship Him. We thank you, Jesus.
Parents with children in a mal- with a malady of any kind, whether it's a learning disability, some kind of physical deformation or any other thing, if you've got a child in the hospital in both Hall 7 and in here, if you have a child that's suffering from any kind of malady, I want you to put your hand up right now. Now, Lord. Now, Lord, stretch forth your hand, Lord Jesus, for each one of these children. We pray, let your glory come, not by might of the doctors or anything in this earth realm, but by the power of the name of Jesus. We send healing virtue. We send the delivering power of the Spirit to these children. Parents, grandparents, I want you to shout that child's name out right now. Shout it out right now. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, as a church, we're bringing these little ones to you and we're saying, do the impossible today. And because we're in a season in unison with the Jewish feast, from the Feast of Trumpets, the awakening, the awakening, it's time to awaken. And in the 10 days between the, the shofar blast, calling everyone out of slumber, In those 10 days, every Jew takes stock personally. And they do so to prepare for the Day of Atonement. That their name would not be marked out of the eternal book of life. But the sacrifice of the Lamb would apply. But moreover, In this feast, in the uh, Jewish tradition from the scripture, they understand their personal responsibility to step forward, to repent, to recognize, to confront, to make restitution, to return to the Lord fully because every member of the whole nation, of the whole family that fails to step forward affects the national atonement of solidarity that comes on Yom Kippur. And God is doing something in the church in our day of remembering us to one another and to Him. So for a few minutes this morning, even as we are in what's called the 10 days of return on the Jewish calendar. Let us reflect for a moment that atonement has been made. And if there is anything where you've been falling behind or lax, or that's occurred in your life and you're sorry for, and it's, it's plaguing you with a spirit of guilt, or there's something binding you, and you feel like you're struggling, and suffocating and disappointed or there's something that has happened you've been betrayed in this moment right now here and in hall seven we're coming to mount zion to god the judge of all to jesus our mediator and to that blood that in this moment is speaking 
better things than that for each of us. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.